You're listening to the Radiology News Network, RNN. Welcome to a new episode of the Radiology News Network podcast. In this RNN episode, a live report from the scientific meeting of the SCMR, the Society for Cardiovascular Magnetic Resonance, and the meeting was in January 2023. I'm close to... Two very important persons for the SEMR, Jao Cavalcante, the program chair, and also Professor Sven Plein, the president of the SEMR 2023. Uh, Sven, what do you think about the meeting so far? We're, we're completely stunned because we have so many delegates. Um, we are registering almost 1,200 people on site. Uh, we have almost 500 people attending the live stream. So together we have almost 1,700 people attending this meeting, which is a record-breaking attendance for, for SCMR. And when we started planning this meeting a year ago in the wireless streams with COVID, of a, a, a economic crisis around the world and wars and everything, we would not have anticipated having anywhere near these numbers. So we're absolutely excited to have so many people here. And the atmosphere on the, on the floor is just so wonderful after three years everybody was keen to come back together and you really feel that everybody's enjoying the networking and and uh, talking to one another so it's been overwhelmingly positive so far i heard that people just would like to come whatever the scientific quality or program is but Jao, i heard also that the quality was really really good uh, this morning so what is your feeling about it no i echo what sven had mentioned i mean it's palpable here the vibe and the, the atmosphere the registrations speak for themselves and the quality of the science the preparations uh the content that now has been delivered both in person as well as virtually is a second to none it's great to see that also we have had a lot of new features in this program so you know partnerships with several societies expert reading with the experts hands-on session everything has been sold out so the community is really thriving to be together again. It's, it's great to be back. And so I hope that we can learn a few things that we can do better for the next year. It's going to be in London, and we're excited to, again, reconnect with colleagues, share the science, best practices. All right, thank you very much. And Sven, for you, what is for you personally the highlight of the meeting this year? I think, as uh, Jao already mentioned, there's, there's a, a number of really good new things. One thing we've done this year was uh, to have a science co-chair for, to the other program chairs. I think that's made a real difference. So I think the scientific aspects of the meeting are as strong as they've uh, ever been. Uh, and that was a really good invention. We've also had uh, dedicated pediatric um, co-chairs. And uh, again, the pediatric program is really strong. So for me, it is those you know, additions that we've made to the program uh, this year that are really paying off. Plus, of course, the, the, the keynote sessions, we have a fantastic set of uh, gold medal presentation, keynote presentations uh, spanning from everything from AI to, uh, to sustainable imaging to um, uh, the latest inventions uh, and clinical indications and the impact that Cardiacamar will have. So uh, too many highlights to pick one or two, but uh, yeah, the only regret I have is that uh, I'm not going to be able to see all of this live because often there's many great things happening at the same time, but everything's recorded. So for those who are here, uh, you have three months to catch up on anything that you've missed because there's too many good things happening at the same time. Okay, thanks to the both of you and uh, enjoy the meeting. Thank you. So uh, I'm Steve Leung, I'm an associate professor at University of Kentucky, and uh, I've been there for about 10 years now. I direct the uh, cardiac MRI and CT 
and also uh, program director for the Advanced Imaging Program. Okay, great to have you at the SEMR. How long are you a member? Thanks. Uh, I've been actually a member since I was a fellow uh, when I was at NIH uh, back in uh, 2010. So it's about 13 years now. And what is your main focus in the clinic and in the research? Uh, mostly uh, in, uh, right now, strain imaging uh, with uh, post-MI patients. Uh, we're also looking at some of the uh, mouse models as well for uh, HCM. And that's really interesting. Are, are you also exploring it uh, clinically? Uh, not at this point. We used to actually look at a lot of the uh, fibrosis without gadolinium uh, research, uh, but we haven't uh, done that for a while. And do you have any uh, other activities here? Lectures, abstracts, posters? Yeah, so uh, my fellow uh, presented a couple of cases uh, this morning. Uh, we also have another case presenting tomorrow morning at 7 uh, during one of our quick-fire uh, sessions. And then uh, I'm giving a talk uh, at uh, 8 a.m. in the early career session talking about the challenges uh, for early career in North America. So I think uh, that will be uh, pretty exciting. Okay, great. Yeah, nice to have you here uh, after all these years with COVID that we have a real-life SEMR meeting again. So uh, enjoy. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Looking forward to it. Seeing a lot of good old friends. So, Hi, I'm Nicholas uh, Stumpe and I'm a PhD candidate of the Leiden University Medical Center and currently working on a um, 19F MR implementation for the clinic. You just gave a fascinating abstract presentation here at the SEMR 2023. Can you maybe give a very, very short summary of what you presented? Oh yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks at first. Um, yes, uh, I, my abstract was about uh, yeah, 19F MRI um, to uh, determine the PO2 concentration in tissue by using uh, MR relaximetry and inject uh, 19F nanomotion to uh, yeah, indirectly uh, determine the PO2 in tissue. And this was in ischemic lag of the mouse. Can this also be used in the heart, in myocardial infarction, maybe in the future after 20 years of development? Yes, actually, that would be, uh, that's, uh, that's a plan for the future. So um, because of the uptake of the nanoemulsions by macrophages, it will be delivered to inflammation. So uh, especially for myocardial infarction, it could be really, really interesting. And um, there are currently no other methods out there, at least uh, to my knowledge, uh, to do it to measure or determine the PO2 in myocardial infarction without uh, highly invasive methods. And you're now uh, an SCMR member for the first time, so welcome to the club. <laughs> Thanks a lot, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> Any uh, special plans for visiting San Diego or some other exciting plans you have for this week? Oh yes, actually I will, uh, I will go to the uh, Joshua Tree National Park for a few days and uh, try to camp there in the winter. So I'm really excited to be here in San Diego. Always good to combine uh, science with fun. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Elam Leifeld. Um, I'm from University of Leeds, United Kingdom. Um, so today is the second day of SCMR conference and I feel there is more emphasis in metabolism compared to previous years. So that makes me super happy. So, and very engaging audience. Yeah, it's really great that there is a lot of attention for cardiometabolic uh, aspects of cardiovascular disease, also intermingled with imaging. So what is your role now in the SEMR? What are your activities? Um, so um, together with a broad range of colleagues, we've managed to organize a special interest group for cardiometabolic uh, 
assessment. So it's been, and we will have our inaugural meeting today. So very excited. And we will have all the pioneers, including Prof. Lamb and Prof. Neubauer and Prof. Weiss. So I'm really, really excited. Um, and we are hoping that we could maybe um, get more standardization and more collaboration um, so for, for the future and just it's a great uh, initiative. Uh, how many people are involved so far? 30. Ah, great. I'm told it's uh, one of the largest um, special interest groups. Yes. And can you comment uh, just in general, what, what are your main interests now? What is your most exciting project you're running? <laughs> oh, I can't choose. <laughs> I thing it is um, obviously I'm always very focused on diabetes but at the moment uh, my focus is moving more towards having diabetes as a comorbidity uh, for other cardiovascular diseases especially aortic stenosis um, so and clinical trials for that area so and how many years are you already an SEMR member uh, 10 years <laughs> it's been a decade. <laughs> well, really great. Well, congratulations on your new study group and uh, enjoy the meeting. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am Katie Garrity, SCMR Executive Director. And what exactly is your uh, daily job uh, to manage the SCMR? What do you do for the meeting? Well, this is our first meeting, so it was a lot of learning of how to pull off a successful SCMR scientific sessions. Uh, this is our 26th uh, event, and we organize all of the tracks, all of the presenters, not me personally, but me and my team uh, work really hard to make sure that it is a rigorous and um, enjoyable event for everyone. So actually, you're the most important for the meeting, I guess. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, we have yeah, we have an amazing staff team um, that is new to SCMR in the last few months, and luckily we have a wonderful board and CEO that has taken a lot of time to train us. And within a few months, we've been able to pull off this amazing event, and we were hoping for 800 people in person, and we're inching closer and closer to 1,200 every day and we have uh, nearly 500 virtual uh, registrations as well so this could be quite possibly the f the highest attended SCMR um, solo event which is incredible everybody was so happy to join the SCMR again after COVID so that's really great and uh, you just joined uh, SCMR uh, as a management company what do you think so far of the society because you also host other societies so maybe you can already see a little bit what we are, or how we are. Are we friendly or not? Or <laughs> Actually, I was just uh, talking to someone about that. I, I have been in association management for 20 years and have worked with a variety of different groups from airline associations to medical groups to auditors. And I have to say that the caliber of attendees is absolutely fantastic everyone is so warm and friendly and all of my staff and I have been talking about it it's been a really lovely event especially since we're a little stressed as it's our first event and we're new and everyone's been really understanding and kind so far really great job of course so uh, enjoy the meeting thank you you too I'm Attila Todt from Budapest Hungary I'm a 
cardiac radiologist and I'm doing it since 2002 and uh, the mother institution is the Semmelweis University and I also have another position now at a, a country level institution primarily interested in congenital heart disease. How many years are you a member of the uh, SEMR? I, <laughs> I, I remember I passed the, the basic exam in 2005 I think that was the second run and probably I became a member around that time so but but I don't really remember I don't want to lie okay great and, and uh, you arrived uh, yesterday so still you have a jet lag but uh, you could attend the early morning sessions because of that so what do you think of it the SEMR 2023 I'm very fascinated by the fact that we can be here in person again and today it was about Fabri's disease and I think every second of such an event is fruitful even for somebody who is doing it for many years can learn from fellow colleagues who have a very important experience in any kind of aspects of cardiac MR. Yeah, your group also has a presentation here uh, tomorrow on Friday. Uh, what is it about? Can you uh, briefly describe the, the work? Yeah, our program is currently led by Hoyna Kavago and our fellow PSG student uh, Jofia Dohi will present on the wideband late gonalignum enhancement importance, how it changes the treatment of patients with ICDs and pacemakers if you have this tool and you can apply on this patient population. Sounds great. And, and in general, in Hungary, what is the availability of CMR? Is, is that available for every patient or only for certain patients? Or what is the demand? The demand is always much higher than what we can provide. Um, there are upcoming scanners currently in two institutions, so we are trying to keep up, but uh, definitely the the need is uh, higher in every patient population, including regular adults, arrhythmia, congenital heart disease as well. So there, there are plenty of work to do. And we have to catch up by applying new methods and techniques like you've been talking about previously, Hildo. And do you have enough MR machines to do CMR in Hungary? Mm, that's a complicated question because uh, I think there's currently one scanner which is dedicated cardiac. There will be another one coming up soon and there will be other scanners as well which are just part-time cardiac MR scanners. I would say that even more would be needed. All right, thank you very much for your uh, comments and uh, enjoy the meeting. Thank you so much. It was good to see you here at the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, Hildo. <laughs> Hi, my name is Luigi Natale. I'm professor of radiology in Catholic University of Rome, Italy, and I'm the past president of the European Society of Cardiovascular Imaging. How many years are you a member of the uh, SEMR? Uh, more than 15. I don't remember exactly, but it's uh, for sure more than 15. And since you are the immediate past president of the European Society for Cardiovascular Radiology, uh, can you uh, think about the role or comment on that of radiology in the SEMR? Uh, I started cardiac imaging and uh, for sure with CMR and for sure 
this was uh, since the beginning the, the reference society. So um, my hope uh, at that time was always uh, to have a good uh, radiology representative in, uh, in the society. And uh, the, the society started with a balance, but uh, during the years, uh, the steep of the uh, growth Uh, of cardiac uh, cardiac park counterpart the cardiologist was higher compared to the one of radiologists and so my idea should be to increase radiology representatives within the society and there's now a new uh, initiative a sort of focus group eh, on uh, radiology in uh, SEMR can you maybe sp- tell us about the goals and the actions in that group yes that's a task force for increasing radiology presence within the society uh, throughout the cooperation with radiological society that to cardiac imaging for example at European level at Asian level or uh, in uh, US for example and the goal uh, is to uh, um, first of all uh, to, to increase the clinical awareness of radiologists um, probably uh, increasing radiology representatives in the society will uh, give also another result that will be the most uh, awareness of radiological problems for the cardiologists. So there's an opportunity to exchange and share uh, better results for both specialists. And do you have any lectures yourself here or poster presentations from your group? Yes, I had uh, a presentation during the pre-physician course. Uh, the pre-course for physicians in, uh, on uh, bright blood sequences and CNMRI and a couple of moderations. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Have fun. My pleasure. Hi, I'm Jerry McCann. I'm Professor of Cardiac Imaging at the University of Leicester in the UK. Uh, how many years have you been a member of the SEMR? Oh, I did my cardiac MRI fellowship in 2004 and I attended my first conference that year and I've been a member ever since and I've only missed meetings for really exceptional circumstances. And do you also have uh, duties in the SEMR, committees or focus groups? So I have been on the clinical trials committee and uh, I've contributed to some of the uh, statements on the use of MR for uh, endpoints uh, in clinical trials and I'm a member of the special, the newly formed specialist working group on cardiometabolic disease. And uh, do you also have uh, abstract or poster presentations from your group here uh, at the SCMR? Yes, so we've uh, had five abstracts uh, all presented by uh, fellows within the group. We've got quite a big group as well as myself, two associate professors. So we had uh, one abstract looking at the comparison of uh, left atrial and ventricular strain between transthoracic echo and CMR. We got one on the repeatability of stress perfusion and um, quantitative, uh, sorry, quantitative stress perfusion in patients with suspected coronary disease, which is an ongoing study, and some other work in uh, diabetes and diabetes and aortic stenosis. And what do you think of the SEMR 2023 so far? So it's been great to be back uh, live. Um, quality of presentations on the whole has been fantastic. And of course, the real bonus is getting to meet people face to face, catching up with old friends and meeting new people. And that is just irreplaceable. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Hold up.
I'm Ling Lu from uh, the Leiden University Medical Center. I'm a resident radiology. And yeah, I'm here at the CMR 23. Super excited uh, to be here. And I just uh, had my oral uh, presentation. It was a short pitch of three minutes. And yeah, it was really fun to do. Yeah, it was a great job, of course, your presentation. Nice results. Can you please summarize your work and the results and conclusion from your uh, poster pitch? Uh, yeah, we uh, looked at a deep learning-based uh, approach to accelerate acquisition and reconstruction times in CMR. We performed a study of teen, 10 healthy volunteers and uh, we found that CS um, acceleration factor four with AI was the best for clinical use and um, yeah I think it's uh, it's exciting to uh, use it in clinical practice with patients with cardiac diseases. Can you summarize quickly how, how it works? How, how does AI accelerate the scan? It's a uh, neural network and um, yeah, so the uh, technique is uh, compressed so the lines in the case space are pseudo-randomly undersampled and this um, neural network uh, tries to fill it in during the reconstruction and it will fasten the reconstruction and even the acquisition um, and enhances the images. And this was a prototype for research. Uh, but what do you think about the reconstruction times? Because that's always a challenge for these uh, AI approaches. Yeah, the reconstruction times is, um, that was also a question from the audience. Um, it's getting longer when the acceleration factors um, also went up. But I think if we have better hardware in the future, um, the reconstruction time will also um, yeah, shorten again. So. Um, I hope that problem will be solved in the near future by better hardware. And this was your first SCMR, I guess, that you visited. What do you think of it so far? Yeah, it's a really, um, it's really excited to be here and uh, a lot of exciting work. I see a lot of also uh, other researchers um, doing things with AI, not only uh, with reconstruction or acquisition times, but also uh, to enhance um, signal to noise ratio or even AI with um, to um, calculate strain in CMR. So that's, um, yeah, really good to see other researchers um, all the research work. All right, have fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Milou from Popple um, and a PhD student at King's College London in uh, fetal cardiac MRI. Uh, we're looking at suspected coarctation uh, and how to diagnose that before birth using fetal MRI. That's a great topic. Do you also have uh, presentations or posters or abstracts on that topic? Uh, yeah, I presented my work yesterday in the early career uh, translational uh, session um, uh, where we uh, use statistical shape analysis and uh, phase contrast flow with retrospectivating, uh, putting that together and looking at the morphology and the blood flow um, in utero in a non-invasive, safe way uh, to hopefully get better disease understanding as well as prediction of this elusive disease. And how does it work practically? Because we are also doing a fetal uh, CMR uh, with a device, uh, with an ultrasound uh, probe. But maybe you can explain a little bit to the listeners how it works. Because it's quite difficult yet. It's challenging. 
Yeah, obviously there's like the obvious challenges like small vessel size, fetal motion, maternal motion, no contrast, no gating. Um, so the way we do it at King's College London is we uh, use develop uh, we've developed a motion correction tool. So we use simple black blood uh, sequencers, ungated, and uh, the way the motion correction works is that it actually sort of filters out all the the, the really corrupted slices and uh, registers it to look a sort of atlas space. So we have a 3D black blood volume, so it allows us to look at the vasculature uh, mostly, the extracardiac vasculature, uh, due to the contrast with the fluid-filled lungs before birth um, and the flows we use standard face contrast sequences uh, perpendicular to the six main fetal vessels uh, that are big enough for us to allow uh, proper measurements and we use retrospective gating tools that were developed in uh, by a group in Toronto as sick kids um, so that's how we kind of do it we we don't use prospective gating uh, currently but obviously that's one of the options and like there's self-gating the tools and more like retrospective gating tools as well so there's a lot of opportunities these days <laughs> and, and what do you think about the, the ultrasound probe to synchronize the skin to the fetal heart motion based on the ultrasound tracking of uh, heart motion is, is that feasible or too challenging I think it's probably a, a very good opportunity to uh, to try it out. We we have a device. I'm not very familiar with the use of it, so I wouldn't be able to, you know, give my personal experience on it. But it's probably a very promising way, um, and there's definitely a few people around here who ha who are using it and presenting their work as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess that's a very promising method. Yeah. <laughs> and how is your PhD going in general? Are you on track? Are you still happy? <laughs> Yes, I very much uh, like the topic. Uh, it's very challenging, but very rewarding as well. And um, yeah, definitely on track, finishing this year. And um, also, yeah, presenting my work here is a great opportunity, of course, uh, but also presenting it at APC as well and hopefully finishing and wrapping up everything this year. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been a member of the SUMR? I think my first, I was actually just thinking about this, I think my first SUMR was 2017. Uh, so since then, really, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And, and what do you think about the SUMR uh, 2023 so far? I think it's great. Uh, the location, obviously, great, sunny uh, compared to London <laughs> in January. Uh, and and there's a f the fetal session for the first time this uh, this session as well. So this afternoon we'll have like a, a fetal cardiac MRI session. Uh, so that's a great opportunity. We'll get everyone together who is even interested or doing some fetal cardiac MRI. So I'm quite excited for that as well. Yeah. All right, have fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, my name is Shion Yun. I'm a research fellow at Beth Israel Deaconist Medical Center and Harvard Medical School. And I advised by Dr. Leza, Leza Pat. So our research topic in current state is uh, making an advanced imaging technique for the rapid imaging for real time, such as uh, the post-exercise studies. So it is my first time in-person SCMR experience. Last year I attended as a watcher, but this year is really excited in-person interaction with the other researchers. Uh, actually, I'm new for the SCMR uh, uh, period. Actually, I came from interventional imaging like X-ray and CT. But uh, there are some limitations, like uh, we cannot see the tissue characteristics and we can limit the field of view like that. So I changed my direction to the, the SCMR and CMR. I'm really excited having this kind of big opportunities for all of us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you did some some great work, of course, with a great team uh, yeah. specialists in the topic. 
But can you maybe summarize what you exactly did and how it works on what platform or, or some details about your real-time approach? Um, actually, we started for the LG images at first. We want to improve the spatial resolution of the LG images for scar detection like that. But we found that the, this kind of approach, which means the low resolution image to the high resolution image, can be used for the accelerated imaging for real time. So I did the network design and training, all of those. And uh, Dr. Nezapat and uh, Warren Manning, they supported me for the research uh, project and the study designs. So I can f uh, figure out uh, how to go for the, the detailed and delicate the study design, which is the, not only for the technical manner, or the clinical perspective view. And I learned this is uh, open source uh, yeah. software available for the world. Yeah. Um, but uh, how can people use this in real life? What, what is uh, the clinical application? And you're really doing that already. Yeah. So we are using the Regain method, which is the resolution enhancement uh, inline neural network. We are using that for the daily clinical scanning and the, the kind of the accelerated imaging studies like a post exercise. So you can visit our website. We, uh, we are uh, Best Israel Deconis Medical Center. You can visit our GitHub. You can get uh, your code, our code, and even you can get uh, the, our reconstructed lizard in our data database. Please visit our website, please. Really great work. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Naledi Adam, and I'm doing my PhD with King's College London. Um, at, um, and I'm based in St. Thomas Hospital. And I work mainly on uh, cardiac MRI with uh, AI. You had a great uh, poster pitch. I joined uh, and I loved it. So maybe uh, you can give a very short summary of what you just presented. Okay, thank you. Uh, so basically, I mainly work on SMS uh, BSSP, BSSFP, which is the sequence that you used in myocardial perfusion imaging. And some of the limitations that we faced were that, um, so there's two reconstruction methods that can be used, like I said, parallel imaging, uh, but it's currently clinically used, but it has like offers poor SNR images, as you saw in the presentation. And there's like nicer alternatives like iterative reconstruction, uh, which has high SNR, but also has this pose of like it can alter the signal, which is not what you want because it's like images that you use for diagnostic purposes. And it also takes quite a longer time, so it's not easy to implement it in like a clinical setting. So, what we are proposing is like Combining T-Grappa, which is like the poor SNR method, which happens in like a short period of time, with our AI-based denoising to help it with like the SNR uh, problem that it's having, so that we can offer a much faster reconstruction uh, method that also is able to preserve the sharpness, because we want to be able to see the perfusion defects. That's quite important in a clinical setting. So our method is able uses a residual unit, so it takes in noisy um, images and then outputs so it predicts um, a residual noise map net noise map so the point is for it to not learn the features but to focus mainly on uh, learning the noise in the images and then once we have the prediction of the noise map we are able to subtract that from the noisy image so that we have like the clean image and what that has shown in our research is that it offers much um, sharper images. It improves the image quality of the T-Grappa reconstruction uh, and it also is able to reconstruct the images in a faster time than the much more attractive high SNR uh, iterative method. So 
Yeah. So you're doing simultaneous slice imaging. How many slices can you do, uh, you think, in a clinical setting? Yeah, so one of uh, my former teammates um, right now is able to do nine, nine slices, but then in our research, the one that I just presented, we do like six slices. So. And how far ahead are you in your PhD program? Is it uh, progressing the way you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually doing two projects in parallel. This was the one that I started last year, and then I'm also doing like a MoCo project, um, and I'm doing my sec. My I just started my third year. Yeah, so that's right. Well, really great work. Congratulations, and uh, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Hello, hi. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Zach Ashkir. I'm a uh, cardiology registrar uh, in the UK and a clinical research fellow at the Oxford Center for Cardiac Magnetic Resonance Imaging. You just had a brilliant presentation, uh, sort of power pitch of your uh, poster. Can you maybe summarize your work? Yeah, so we're using uh, 4D flow CMR, which is uh, increasingly being recognized as a better way of assessing blood flow changes in, in uh, different cardiac conditions. And we're using a specific technique called flow component analysis to, dis to identify very subtle changes in blood flow in HCM, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a condition which we are still learning a lot about. And what were your main uh, results in the study? Yeah, so uh, using uh, flow component analysis, we're able to show that um, in HCM there is a uh, specific pattern which is uh, characterized by more direct flow. So there's more blood uh, transiting the ventricle within one cycle, which sounds like it's like, like that's very good and very efficient. But actually, this is a heart that is working at a physiological capacity um, at, at its limits nearly. So there isn't much more capacity to, imp to increase. So we know, for example, in HCM from many different studies, CPET studies, that HCM patients often find it difficult to augment their stroke volume, improve their exercise capacity. So this, we think, shows us why, because it shows us there is very limited capacity to increase the, the components. Yeah. And what do you think could be the future role of these flow fractions in the clinic? So uh, it's a very, very good question. I think that's what we're all interested in. How can we use this for our patients, of course? I think there are two main uses. Uh, one is better surveillance, because at the moment, you know, we kind of, we don't have many physiological uh, measures to, to uh, risk stratify HCM patients, particularly those with, n with no obstruction. They are kind of clumped together as one group. But what we've shown in our work today is that even if you have a group of non-obstructive HCM patients, they, ha they can have very different uh, flow component proportions compared to controls. So we think that it can help us uh, improve and tailor risk stratification or surveillance for patients uh, with non-obstructive HCM. Uh, and what we've also shown today is that there is a correlation with sudden cardiac death risk. So maybe in the future, this is uh, the flow component distribution is a second uh, physiological parameter that we can use to risk stratify these patients. At the moment, all we have is LVOT uh, gradient, which as you know, is uh, often uh, prone to inaccuracies. So that's one area. The other area is there are lots of new drugs coming out for HCM. Many of those affect stroke volume, affect the contractility of the heart. So this might in the future be a sensitive way of monitoring the effect of these drugs. How long have you been a member of the SCMR? A few years now, two, two years I would say. So not very long, but I'm hoping that uh, I can sustain this for uh, many more years to come. Yeah. Okay, great. And, and what do you think of the SCMR uh, 2023 so far? 
I really like it. I'm really enjoying uh, the ability to speak to so many different people from many different places, from America, but also from other parts of the world. Um, and I think this is a unique place where you get an international perspective on, on where cardiology and CMR imaging is going specifically. Yeah. So I've enjoyed right. it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Val. Hello, yes. Um, so my name is Dana Dawson. I'm a consultant cardiologist and professor of cardiovascular medicine at the University of Aberdeen and Aberdeen Royal Infirmary in the north of Scotland in the United Kingdom. And what do you think of the SCMR 2023 so far? Oh, I think it was absolutely fantastic. It was a wonderful meeting and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was so nice to be here in person, finally, you know, after all the um, years that we've had in the, in the last couple of years, which was obviously quite eventful for everyone. Yeah, you were uh, lecturing about a very special topic, a general uh, topic about the relation with industry. That is quite an important topic. So can you maybe summarize what you discussed there in the session? Yes, well, it's, um, it's a very interesting uh, topic to address because I suppose none of us have been trained in this when we were at the beginning of the road and uh, we all had to, to learn perhaps the hard way. So I was very, very encouraged to see how SCMR this year had put together a special session which included uh, not just collaboration of, with industry, which is what I spoke about, but also um, how to to um, establish your own group, how to establish establish a core lab, um, which which are actually quite, if you think about it, it's it's kind of things that you would expect that they're already there, uh, or they are already known, and and they are not, uh, they are not known. So um, it's speaking from experience, from a more limited experience. Others, of course, have a much uh, wider and vast and long-standing experience about this in the field uh, but it was basically mostly about um, tips and tricks and pitfalls and how to navigate um, the road of engaging into a collaboration with industry what to look out for uh, what are the uh, administrative offices in your institution that uh, you need to alert at a very early stage and engage them so that they can support you through this and then and how to uh, obtain the best balance between your scientific independence and yeah the relation to industry and funding of your research do you have any tips how to deal with that well absolutely and this was actually core of um, um, of, of the discussion really it was one of the the important points to to conclude on because I think that the the key to to success is to make it a win-win situation for both parties. So that's uh, something that obviously is, it's, it's an ideal goal, but it's quite difficult to achieve. And like everything, it takes time and it takes a number of face-to-face of -face meetings and discussions um, at the beginning, perhaps more general discussions. And then as uh, people start, parties start to, to, to trust one another, they draw up a a, um, a um, uh, disclosure agreement, 
a confidentiality dis disclosure agreement and then they can uh, begin to speak more freely uh, about the subject of interest and really gauge on whether they are interested in, in collaborating with one another and, and that really is the key to, to, to success just to talk about it and to see whether a, you know whether there is a, 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 a chemistry there between between them scientifically and uh, at the level of just working with someone as a person. I know uh, you also do a lot of metabolic studies and skeletal muscle and heart muscle and all kinds of other uh, projects. Can you maybe highlight one project that you're working on right now? Oh well, <laughs> that's quite interesting. So um, yes, we um, we launched ourselves into metabolic diseases without uh, having had a, uh, a standing in the field, and that of course is <laughs> is is difficult at any stage in uh, in in one's career. And um, we we do have some preliminary results that I hope will be published very soon, which are quite um, against the tide uh, of uh, of the current trend of thinking with respect to the saturated and unsaturated uh, lipids in the skeletal muscle and what are the uh, contributions of each with regards to uh, cardiometabolic uh, performance and cardiometabolic risk. So watch the space. <laughs> All right, I will do. All right, thank you very much. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> uh, I'm Dr. Gerald or Jerry Pohost. Uh, I'm the uh, the founder of the SEMR, and um, I I'm semi-retired, <laughs> but I do have a I do still work in China, and I still work part time in a in a clinic in Los Angeles. It's a great honor, of course, to have you in the uh, SEMR podcast. And we also have a joint history uh, when I visited uh, Birmingham and uh, Alabama in the early 90s even, a very, very long time ago. So if you look back on the development of CMR, what is most striking for you? Most striking is uh, the ability of CMR to do um, all sorts of imaging, um, more so than radionuclide or with a much higher resolution than echocardiography and uh, and no 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 ionizing radiation like uh, X-rays. Uh, it it's a it's a fantastically interesting technology. I I had the honor of working with uh, Peter Mansfield before. I mean in Nottingham, England, um, and uh, he developed Echoplaner and he developed first MR images. Uh, and so, uh, and uh, and and when I was in uh, college, I was a major. In, I majored in physics, and I I would continuously, after graduating, s sought having a, an institution that uh, or a, uh, a discipline that that integrated physics and and medicine. And if you look back at the recent developments, let's say from the past 10 years uh, in CMR, what do you think about that? Some, some astonishing things have been achieved, I think. I, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I think the first thing, it was longer than that, uh, was the use of uh, late gadolinium enhancement, which really 
uh, is has been used now widely and very popular for detecting myocardial infarction or and uh, evaluating patients with cardiomyopathy. It's it's fantastic and and then new, newer imaging methods um, even uh, now it's becoming very popular low field <laughs> imaging and and uh, I know Krishna Nayak at USC is doing that. Uh, and it, the image quality is is excellent. I, I never thought it, I always wanted to go to a higher field. And the reason I like higher field is because I'm interested in uh, myocardial metabolism, and um, uh, it it requires to do phosphorus or other uh, nuclides. Like I mean, in addition to hydrogen, um, it requires a higher field. I still remember vividly that uh, back in the old days, in the early 90s, when I was in Birmingham, that you were already working on uh, measuring lipids in the heart. Yes, 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 yes. It was quite intriguing for me at that time. Later on, we did a lot of experiments in that field. But do you think it's still an important uh, field that we should still pursue? Yes, definitely, <laughs> yes. No, our lipids are very important. and. Uh, if, if you can measure the quantity of lipid in the uh, in the myocardium, uh, or even uh, con contaminated by the lipid in the coronary arteries, uh, it it's very useful. And you can do I mean lipid imaging, um, which which is uh, I I think quite quite interesting. But I think phosphorus and uh, other other nuclei um, are very interesting also. And I had. The privilege of working with uh, Dr. Joanne Ingwall at uh, the Brigham and or Harvard Medical School, I should say, and uh, she's she's d has done so many in, vi in vitro studies or isolated heart studies, um, and she knows she wrote the book on uh, ATP and high energy phosphates. Uh, so there's going to be a big application. Uh, it just takes time. Uh, to generate images and and the field strength, you know, need, optimally would be better higher than 3T. Uh. You're the the founder of the SCMR and you were the first uh, editor uh, in chief of the JCMR. Yeah. So maybe now a challenging question: What do you think about CT of the heart? CT, I I think. Uh, it has too much ionizing radiation, <laughs> but really, it, it it has been uh, useful. But I think its use utility is is a little bit overrated, <laughs> and um, the latest uh, indications by the uh, ACC uh, for cardiac uh, imaging is makes uh, CT much much more popular than MR. But that'll change very soon. <laughs> do you have any advice to the CMR community and the SCNMR? Uh, what to do in the future? What what topics should we focus on, or what is your advice? No, I mean I, I'm I'm prejudiced, but I, I think uh, uh, phosphorus 31 and other nuclei uh, there's an enormous potential, and right now it's not it's not explored uh, widely enough. Uh, so I, I think. That, that's really uh, in the future for MR. Um, and I did. St I also started the other society, ISMRM, but it was called SMRM when I started. 
this society is fantastic, and, and it's really, it's really a privilege to, to be at the meeting and with you. And uh, and uh, we had a good time in Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham had a four T from you know one of the one of the two four T's from Oxford, uh, and we did some phosphorus thirty one studies, uh, but. It needs more work, and it needs a, 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 a more focused, a better dedicated magnet. But it, it was good. It, it is good. So. All right. Thank you very much. I hope I can meet you soon again. I oh yeah, I hope so. My pleasure. Thank you very much for your. You're you're great. You're great. Thank you. Oh, this is Roderick Pettigrew. I am currently the dean of a new medical school in Houston, Texas. Uh, the school is called the School of Engineering Medicine. And the School of Engineering Medicine offers this very unique curriculum called NMED, spelled E-N-M-E-D for Engineering Medicine. The curriculum converges engineering and medicine in the same four years of study that's typically required for a conventional uh, MD program in such a way that the students learn both medicine and engineering in a blended fashion for the purpose of really fundamentally understanding how life works, how disease happens, so that we are better enabled to envision and create solutions to healthcare problems. We really train medical inventors. Uh, these students who have this converged uh, education we call physician-years uh, that comes about because engineers solve problems for the benefit of society. In medicine, there are countless problems, so you bring these two fields together to solve medical problems for the benefit of humanity. And that's what physician-years are trained to do. Our students who, again, graduate with an MD and a Master's in Engineering Innovation in four years are also required to have an invention to a health care problem. Uh, and cardiovascular diagnostics, uh, cardiovascular interventions, and cardiovascular treatments, often enabled by MR imaging, is certainly one of the areas of interest. It's a great combination, of course, eh? MR physics and then with the clinical uh, knowledge combined. Um, if you look back at uh, the recent developments in the CMR field connected to the SCMR, what, what, what is the most striking advancement in your vision? Well, historically, one of the great appeals for cardiac imaging has been its accuracy. The clarity of the images, the detail of, of the images, and the ability to really visualize just what's going on in the heart. Uh, and with that accurate visual, visualization, and then also being able to quantify uh, both the structure and the function of the heart, and over time, that structure and function quantification has now included uh, other indices, including myocardial perfusion, um, uh, quantification of blood flow, uh, one of the popular advances is called 4D flow, uh, which I uh, kind of smile, you know, when I see that, because of of, of course, 
this happens over three dimensions and it happens in time, uh, so it is four-dimensional, but flow has always been 4D. But this is one of the techniques that's able to visualize that and to do that uh, accurately. Uh, those features have long been the appeal for MR. It's accuracy, and it's known to be the reference technique, the gold standard for such information. What we're now seeing is being able to do additional things with, with this technology and to do them more quickly than in the past. Uh, when I started in this field in the 1980s, you know, uh, to do such an examination would easily take 45 minutes uh, to an hour or so. And from that, you would emerge with a complete characterization of the structure and function of the heart. But that kind of information can be obtained now in half the time to a quarter of the time in terms of how much time the actual scanning uh, needs to be, uh, uh, needs to occur in order to get that information. So the, the speed, the advances with speed is one of the striking uh, elements that we have seen in the last few years and it's so, certainly been evident in this meeting even progressing to real-time imaging, where the, not only the images are obtained in real-time, but the analysis of the images, extracting the quantification and the, quant and the, the uh, indices of function occur uh, immediately after the scanning is done, or being uh, a concurrent with the scanning being done. That's, that's one of the uh, interesting advances. And then a final thing that I don't think will surprise this audience, uh, particularly with all the press that uh, chat uh, CPT has, uh, has, has garnered uh, in, in the last month, in the last several weeks or so, is the infusion of artificial intelligence. And this is particularly promising in multiple ways in uh, being able to extract information from the scanners, from the scans quickly, uh, relieving some of the burden of the physician uh, and, uh, and the technologist. Uh, one of the clear-cut and, and um, most demonstrative examples of that is that uh, 10 years ago, while you could acquire these dynamic images of a heart in 3D, and while you could then trace out the boundaries of the heart, the endocardium and epicardium, over time, and from that, pull out all of these functional indices, uh, that was pretty time consuming. Uh, now that's done automatically and, that, and those automatic uh, algorithms have certainly benefited from the advances of artificial intelligence. And so with artificial intelligence, those kinds of manual tasks are not needed anymore. Um, the, mach the machine does them and they do them uh, fairly uh, instantaneously. So that's uh, one advance. But what we have to look forward to, I think, is the ability to train algorithms with 
uh, a large amount of data that correlates the appearance of the heart and the vasculature with subtle features that you can observe uh, in these images. And from those correlations of those features with clinical outcomes, be more predictive of what lies ahead for a given patient with a given set of symptoms, a given set of images, and a given set of features, even beyond what can be projected and interpreted by uh, us um, experienced uh, physicians. And I, I think that there is information in the signals that we convert into images that is below the threshold of visualization uh, and that a technique, an AI technique, can be trained to make these correlations between those features uh, and the, the reconstructed images that we have and what happens with the patient downstream in, su in such a way that it really advances the benefit of cardiac imaging uh, to the practice of cardiovascular medicine. In the 90s, uh, CMR was regarded maybe as a hobby. Also in Leiden, uh, we uh, discussed uh, like that. Around 2000, with the LGE appearing, it became uh, more mainstream, uh, clinical too. But what has to happen? What do you think is the most important step to even further increase the routine clinical application of CMR? Well, it's, uh, I think that's related in part to what we just talked about, the complexity of the technique. There's no doubt that you get a wealth of information from this technique and, and this technology. Perhaps um, unlike any other, when you consider the range of features, the range of the kinds of information that you can extract from this technique that is inherently three dimensions and in with the uh, high-speed imaging, now inherently four-dimensional, uh, there is this tremendous amount of data. But it takes uh, a big effort to acquire the data. And in the past, it's taken a big effort to extract the information from the data that's acquired. And that makes it more time consuming uh, and also more expensive. Being able to speed this up, reduce it uh, so that it's done uh, easily for patients will be a significant advance. And then it also has the advantage of not requiring the more um, heavy duty types of contrast agents that are used in some of the other techniques. I am a nuclear physician, uh, and we use those contrast agents all the time, necessarily nuclear imaging, but they come uh, with at somewhat of a bit of, uh, of, uh, of uh, not only uh, cost, but also exposure of the patient uh, to radiation. The radiation levels are low enough that on a per exam basis, it is a significant concern. But if you wanted to repeat this, those kinds of exams uh, frequently, you always have that in, in, the, in the back of one's mind. And there's a cost-benefit uh, ratio that, that needs to be taken into consideration. 
And then similarly with uh, computed tomography, fantastic. It has the advantage of high speed. It has the advantage of, uh, of simplicity. It also has the advantage of high detail and high resolution uh, over three dimensions. But you need a, a contrast agent uh, that is a little bit of more concern uh, uh, than not having one. And much of MR imaging can be done without contrast agents. Although, as you've just asked, there is some information about the viability or non-viability of myocardial tissue um, that is uh, improved when you use uh, a contrast agent in, in, in MR. Uh, that kind of information, though, really can be obtained you know, with, with one scan. You don't have to do that sort of thing repeatedly so you don't have those kind of concerns on an ongoing basis. Um, so uh, overall, I would say that what we really require in order for the advantages of MR that are inherent to this uh, technique given its soft tissue contrast, which is exquisite and exceeded by no other technique, uh, given its inherent four-dimensional nature, is to continue to advance the technology so that it is easier to do, uh, a quicker experience for the patient, uh, a quicker experience for the technologists and the physicians to interpret. Uh, and, and that is on the horizon with the advent of artificial intelligence, a as well as a lot of clever young kids who keep coming up with advanced ways to make the exam uh, more informative and also more simple. All right. Thank you very much for your uh, valuable comments. All right. My pleasure. My name is uh, Alexandros Kalifatidis. I'm a cardiac radiologist uh, from uh, Thessaloniki, uh, Greece. And uh, uh, I'm working in St. Luke's uh, Hospital, a private hospital, one of the biggest uh, in uh, the country. And how long have you been an SEMR member? Uh, more than uh, eight years. And uh, I remember uh, one of my best uh, memories it was in uh, New Orleans. Uh, it was so exciting to be in this uh, fascinating uh, scientific event, uh, combining a lot of uh, art and music, of course. Yeah, and what do you think of the SEMR uh, 2023 so far? We just started today with the scientific program, but what is your feeling of the atmosphere and the scientific uh, quality? Uh, I think at first that it is uh, really great that after uh, two years, after the pandemic, uh, we can see each other in person uh, in this uh, great meeting. Uh, also, uh, of course, uh, uh, the previous uh, 2022, it was uh, virtual. Uh, the scientific level, it was very high, uh, but it is completely different now in person. Uh, the quality still very high, one of the best uh, uh, cardiac MRI congresses. Uh, globally and uh, I'm very happy to see uh, friends and colleagues like you uh, Hildo and so many other from uh, Europe uh, states from all over the world yeah and tonight there is a very special event uh, you will even uh, give a show you will play some music can you uh, explain what you will play and uh, what time and when it will happen Okay, that was an idea of uh, last minute. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, together with uh, other colleagues like uh, Joao Cavalcante, uh, we, which, who is uh, really amazing, not only uh, the program chair of the Congress, but uh, he's a uh, uh, one-man band. Uh, and uh, we will uh, keep it for a, a surprise. Of course, we will combine some uh, uh, jazzy things with uh, uh, rock and uh, very well-known uh, popular uh, songs. And I hope that it will work. Yeah, and, and, and what instruments are you playing and, and Zhao? Uh, Zhao, he is playing uh, bass, electric bass and guitar. Uh, he sings also uh, perfectly. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, I will play the guitar and I will sing. And uh, in uh, uh, our company, there are also two other colleagues, uh, Jennifer Kovu, she will play the cajon, and uh, Edith, um, that she will play the piano, the keyboards. Okay, great. Well, let's have fun during the meeting. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that you will enjoy and all of us, we will enjoy this incredible Congress. Hello? Yeah. I guess it was unplugged. You need to plug things, right? Well, I wanted to thank all of you for being here tonight, San Diego SCMR 2023. I have the distinct pleasure to, um, I don't know what I'm doing here, but you know, I'm really accompanied by phenomenal musicians and friends. Um, this is the 4T band. And here on my left, I have Alexis Kalifatidis from Thessaloniki, Greece, radiologist. We have Jan Kovu from Florida, and we have Edith Tham from Calgary. Edmonton. Edmonton. And I hope you have fun. If you know the songs, please sing with us, and let's enjoy it.
for the dancing. Thank you for it. All right, we're ready for the second one. The second one in my go as well as on the same jazz theme. We'll see how it works. So, uh, I remember nine years ago, in the New Orleans, SCMR, it was uh, amazing, fantastic experience, but also the atmosphere in New Orleans and uh, the jazz bars, and I was passing from uh, Preservation Hall of Jazz, and uh, I heard this song, it was really amazing, only acoustic, and so now today is our version. Why not? 